Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. Hello, Mikey. Hello, Lily. Hey. How's things today out there? <laughs> hey, it was crazy. You want to know what happened last night? Uh, you had a dream. No, I didn't oh, have okay. a dream. No. What? Uh, the only what happened? Your... Okay, what happened was, get ready. Yeah, I'm ready. It rained in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was oh. crazy. It was a crazy night. Um, there was a loud sound that came from the sky. Yeah. And lightning. Wow. Very scary. Yes. Wow. And everybody yes. started driving off the road and smashing into things? Pretty sure it was trending on Twitter. <laughs> Rain in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, we have another special guest with us today. We do indeed. Would you like to do the honors? Certainly. Okay. We'd love to welcome Nora Ames, who is someone that we have both known and uh, have a great deal of affection for. Nora was born and raised a Scientologist. She was in the Sea Organization, and she is also someone who has done a great deal of work to expose the hypocrisy mm-hmm. and the abuses in Scientology when it comes to gay, lesbian, bisexual. Those things have, for a long time, or were for a long time, uh, sort of not spoken about at all by anybody, and Scientology pretended that they were uh, open and accepting of all all types of people, and that just is a big fat fucking lie. And Nora was one of the people who stood up and said, uh, wait a minute, this is bullshit. And she did some videos, and she has spoken out about this, and we have not spoken to her, unfortunately, when we were doing the aftermath, we couldn't get her on the program. And why is that, Nora? <laughs> By the way, welcome. Uh, yeah, welcome. Sorry. I just went on a roll. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know me. I talk almost as much as Leah. So, Nora, let's just, let's just take a moment to establish who you are so that people understand why we're, we have such interest in talking to you. You know, you were raised a Scientologist. Your mother came into Scientology before you were even born. She was uh, part of the Guardian's office at the time. Your dad was not a Scientology staff member, but he was what was called a Guardian Assistant Scientologist or Apprentice Scientologist, a gas. (laughs) That's what they called them. And (laughs) he was involved in the burglarizing of government offices in Sacramento because he was encouraged to take a job in a government office and then hide in the bathroom and wait until everybody else had gone home and then let the geo-operatives in through the window to steal the documents. Now, if I might stop down, I'm like, this is just crazy. This is just insane, (laughs) which is why we wanted to do a show about Fair Game. The Guardian's office, please Google it. Scientology yeah. Guardian's Office. It's like Scientology CIA. Yeah. Uh, yeah, except they, they're they not the CIA. 
No, they thought they were. I mean, like, you know. And the, uh, anyway, there's a major, uh, amazing history of the Guardian's office, uh, which ultimately ended with the FBI doing conducting a raid on Scientology because of the Guardian's office activities, which was headed by L. Ron Hubbard's wife, Mary yes. Sue Hubbard, and she and 11 or 12 other Guardian office operatives went to prison uh, yes. for one of the largest infiltrations of government agencies ever was by Scientology. Yeah. Just so you know, everybody. Yeah. And what they did was, this, this, this is where fair game was born. The, the, the yes. directives of fair game was born from the Guardian's office. You would think, everybody listening, you would think, so once the FBI busted L. Ron Hubbard's wife, and she did fucking time, that the Guardian's office, Scientology, would get the hint and be like, maybe we shouldn't do this fucked up shit. No. What they did was they said, let's just invent another Guardian's office and rename it. And that now is called OSA, the Office of Special Affairs, of which Mike Rinder was the head of. Right. And right. Fair yes. Game is still alive and well today. Google Fair game, Guardian's office, Scientology, dirty tricks, or any of those, any variations on that. And and as always, Leah, I will yeah. put all of these things on Please. my blog and yeah. on the fairgamepodcast.com. And so what was the reason why we couldn't get you on our show? I don't even remember. Who knows? I know. You you had been involved in that other program. Oh, we because, weren't yeah. allowed to have Stupid, legal, schmeagle, BS, whatever, sauce, stuff, right. crapola, that I was happy to tell everybody whatever, and I wanted to sit down with you guys, and I was ready to tell everybody all the things, and then the TV company was like, no soup for you, so whatever. Right, and 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 I don't know if you want to talk about that show, but that show uh, was called The Disconnected. Yeah, and the, briefly, I got asked to do that show as a consultant yeah. um, to help them. Uh, you know, the the theory of it was was a good idea in in practice to try and help people get reconnected. And it was Jamie DeWolf was one of the Jamie DeWolf's situation, and you know, no, 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 Jamie DeWolf is. Uh, he was the host. Yeah, he's he's LRH's great grandson. Yep. And um, basically, I told my story to the producers, but I did help one individual try and, you know, talk to their parents. I mean, my involvement was very tiny, unfortunately, but, you know, they kind of like, I guess, owned my story, I guess, at that point or whatever, mm -hmm. because I talked to them for right. however long. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was unfortunate, but, it, you know, whatever. I mean... For me, the important part was, you know, always, you know me, I'm always just trying to help people. Yes. And that was the, that was the pure intention from my thing was just trying to help people. I think that um, what I told them from the get is that you're never going to ambush anyone um, gotcha style Scientology right. and get a reconnection because right. uh, having spent, it, it took me. I want to say 14 years of being an insurgent in my own home, living with my mother to get her out of Scientology um, while she was actively doing Scientology right. to get her to see what happened to me in the Sea Org, yeah. to see what happened to me as a result of uh, being gay um, and other things, literally 14 years 
of slow rolling out. Uh, here's what Scientology does to get her to see the light. And not until it finally came thundering down and they gave her the like hammer of Thor ultimatum of like you choose Scientology or your kids. Yeah. Um, did she say, oh, hell no, I'm choosing my children. But most people don't choose that. Most right. people don't choose that. And most, and most people, no. like you're saying, Nora, you had to basically infiltrate your own home with your oh, yeah. own mother uh, while not saying overtly critical things of Scientology. Exactly. You had to deal with this very gingerly. Mm-hmm. And that takes an extreme amount of self-control mm-hmm. um, to not want to just yell at her across the kitchen table. Oh, like, oh we did yell. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure you yell, but a lot of yelling. There was, and that's because my mom always. I mean, my life has been so weird. We we yeah. skirted things, and my mom would say stupid shit to me. I mean, she was the senior CS for Narconon International at the time. You want to just explain what that means to people? She was the like the senior um, person who was overseeing all of the drug rehab facilities. Or Scientology's like non. Um, no, it's oh, it's Scientology. Well, it's, it's their, it's their basically, it's the non-church version the of their drug group. rehab. It's a, it's called a front group. Yeah, it's a front group. There you go. But it's, it's basically group. Scientology's idea of what a drug rehabilitation program should yeah. look like. And so she would go around to all their locations and make sure that they were doing that particular version of Scientology. Yeah. correctly mm-hmm. um you know and it was there you know and she would go around doing that um and they would just keep her very busy just like putting fires out in all their little you know bermuda triangle locations and when it came down to it um they kept trying to just move her up the bridge and she got to you know going to ot5 and they sent her to flag and i said now, by the way let's see five to everybody because we can't speak jargon even though mike gets irritated with me when i stop down, wait, hang on a second, Nora. Mike, by the way, I want to tell you what? something. I'm going to start saving the tweets that I get from yeah. people, even though you roll your eyes when I do this every time. I get tweets from people that say, Leah, thank you, thank you, because a lot of times when people on your show say something and I don't get right. it, you, yeah, 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 Mike, yeah, Mike. No, we do We do need to define it. And as a former okay. Scientology word clearer, <laughs> which was my entire job, which was to define Scientology jargon, I should know better. I yes. should know better. So my mom was going up the Scientology bridge of enlightenment and she was getting up to the higher levels. The confidential levels, yeah. Right, the higher, the confidential levels. And basically, this is what happened. This is the end of her journey. Um, I was starting to speak out more publicly uh, and I was getting targeted and more pressure was coming to bear on her to, you know, like shit or get off the pot to disconnect from me. And so they, one last ditch effort was they were like awarding her these levels, right? This was like the last thing. Wow. And I said, here's, I said, here's what's exactly going to happen. Mom. They're going to put you on a sec check. They're not actually giving you these levels. They're going to give you a sec check and what's it's going to be, it's, Nora? Uh, it's a secure, sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. So it's an interrogation. They're going to give you an interrogation and they're going to start showing you a lot of references that are going to give you the idea that you need to either handle or disconnect from me. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start putting these ideas in your mind that I'm a bad person. 
and that the things that I'm saying are bad and that you need to like remove me from your life. And she's like, well, that's never going to happen. I love you. And you're allowed to think, you know, bad things happen to you. I agree with you. These were not Mm -hmm. good. These were not standard tech, you know, (laughs) and you should be able to, you know, have the feelings you have about that. And I'm like, okay, but, and then, and I, and I laid it out for her, like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get interviewed by this person and then they're going to take you over here and these things are going to happen. And then, you know, I I told her exactly what was going to happen. She says, no, none of that's going to happen. So exactly what I told her was going to happen. First, she calls me and tries to like, you know, tell me how everything's sparkly and she loves me and all this stuff. I said, are you handling me right now? Is that what's, is that what's happening? And then she got really like weird on the phone. The next day she calls me all of a sudden she's in a panic. Yep. And she says, I I said, what's happening is the middle of the day. And she says, I think I'm blowing flag right now. I said, where are you? She's taking off without, she's taking off without. Okay. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, where are you right now? She said, I'm walking back to my hotel room. I said, do not hang up the phone with me. Go to your room, lock every lock and start packing your bag. I said, I'm calling a cab. And I said, which, which one of the hotels are you in? And I forget which one she was at. And I found there's a library next to that one. I said, I'm calling the cab. It's going to pick you up at the library and whatever you do, do not hang up the phone with me. And I'm, I'm rerouting your flight. As soon as she opened the door, there were three CIRG members outside the door. Hi, hi, how are you? I said, do not hand them the phone. Just keep walking. They try to get in the elevator with her. I said, don't get in the elevator. Just walk down the stairs with your suitcase. They're trying to take the phone from her. She's like, why can't the cab just come to the hotel? I said, because they won't let it go there. I said, you just have to go to the library. Just trust me. So finally, the guy kept trying to like, you know, just say over and over, like, who's on the phone? Is that Nora on the phone? Can we talk to Nora? I said, just hand him the phone finally. So he's like, oh, hi, Nora. This is uh, Joe. How are you? I said, listen, my mom's getting in the cab. She's going to the airport. She's getting on a plane. And then we're going to have a conversation. And he's like, so why don't you want her to do this level? Like, what's the problem? I said, listen, my mom's getting in the cab. She's getting in the car. She's going to the airport. And we're going to have a conversation. And he just, I kept saying, I said, listen, I have passed um, TR zero to four and six to nine from RTC twice. So I can do this all day. Once again, once again. So, so TRs is training routines. And those are the like levels that you do the communication courses. So you, you were saying I've done, I've done the Scientology uh, training routines on how to deal with communication. Basically, I'm not going to answer a question. Yes. From essentially like David Miscavige two times. So right. like I could, I could literally say these commands to you repeatedly all day. It doesn't matter to me. Meanwhile, and then what you're saying is phone, you won't get distracted. Yeah. Right. No, yes. I will, yeah. I will repeat yeah. myself all day. I'm right. professionally trained to yeah. keep repeating myself. <laughs> sure, sure. And so they hung up on me. And so I panicked and my mom finally called me back. She's like, I'm in the cab. I'm fine. I said, listen, if you get to the airport and anyone shows up, you have to call the sheriff, not the police, because the police will just take you right back call the sheriff. Nobody showed up. She got on the plane. When she got her connecting flight in Arizona, her boss called her and was freaking out, was telling her to get back to Florida. Because her boss was a Scientologist? Yeah. Uh And so, and then she knew right then, like it was over. She came, she made it home. Um, They gently told her she could retire Uh and that she didn't need to report to duty anymore, that her checks would just be direct deposited and they were going to let her retire. Um, and then everybody just stopped talking to her and she couldn't believe it. Like right. she couldn't believe that after 45 years in the church that people would just abandon her. Right. 
And it was a long journey out. She read your book. She read Going Clear. She read like, it's, it was like a whole, a, a lot of things for her journey out. Um, she's doing great now. It wasn't overnight, basically. No, it was a- oh, no, no, no. I mean, it was a lot of crying. It was a lot of loss. It was a lot of everything. And then at the same time, I was having my own journey of like coming out. Yeah. And other things too. So it was like a dual, like getting my mom out of the church and me having like a reckoning at the same time of like my own sexuality and stuff were all coming to of a you head coming out. Yeah. Of me coming yeah. out at the same time because it was like the like me in the church and and gayness was like you know, that was dealing with it my whole life. I mean, the the gay thing my whole life was like gay in Scientology is like, you know, uh, oil and I don't know, you know, anything. It just doesn't, you know, except for oil and vinegar that go together like beauty. It's like it, it, it you know, uh, they pretend, oil and water. Yeah. like, like, like Mike said in the intro, yeah. they want to say now, and they really did a lot when they had Laura Prepon. Oh, look at us. We got Laura Prepon. Look at her. She's a professional lesbian on television. Um, you know, uh, we love gay people. Um, they were really happy when she was, you know, collecting that GLAAD award. They, uh, like to say that they're super gay friendly. They are not. I mean, L. Ron Hubbard, I broke it down on a few of my videos, but L. Ron Hubbard really digs in on gay people in Dianetics, um, in Science Survival, in, um, even in the, um, the Freedom Congress. Handbook for Preclis, yeah. Joe Berg Sec Check, Integrity you know, Processing. I was thinking about this too today, is that like he goes in hard on the gays and, and, and sex in general, just sex. I mean, he right. really does not like sex. He does not like masturbation. He is very prude. But then if you read like the Mission Earth series, this guy is like into the porn and into some kink and some nasty, weird sex, just crazy sauce shit like it's a dichotomy of weird like did you did, mike did you read mission earth of course had okay. to yeah right we all had to right and leah did you read mission earth uh-huh okay so you know like so you read all the like the ecclesiastical stuff and he's all like oh no 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 women are submissive women are you know like in the kitchen with the cookies and you just you just perform missionary style and like penis is good and you know let don't even say the word vagina or vulva oh my god and then mission earth is like all about children and you know getting penile enlargements and like whatever like what well one is a science fiction book um right but i mean i'm just saying you can see the dichotomy (laughs) no 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 crazy sauce no no let, let just one second a great line was coming here Yes. No, it wasn't a great line. I just wanted to point something out that right. we're, we're making it so that Scientology seems pure and on the up and up. I'm sorry. And then, yeah. No, yeah. No. And, and, and then you read something <laughs> like a science fiction uh, book and that's crazy. Uh, but, but in actual fact, Scientology is from the very beginning, just to go back to the, the point that you made with Laura Prepon, uh, they, they, uh, they, there's nothing about Scientology starting with the, because everybody reads the same books. And that was actually my point yeah. with Laura Prepon was that Scientologists, public Scientologists, including myself, 
would pretend that we didn't read certain things when it is mandatory right. reading. Like, you know, somebody's like, well, I never saw that. Of course you saw it. You just pretend you didn't. Or you just say, oh, if you want to find out about something, read. you should find out for yourself. Look at how much right. good work we do. Here are social betterment activities and right. our and our social betterment uh, organizations, blah, blah, blah. And you push that stuff. But everybody in Scientology has read the same book, starting in Dianetics, where L. Ron right. Hubbard says a girl as young as seven should not be uh, reacting poorly or badly right. or reacting at all to receiving a, a passionate, passionate kiss. kiss. Oh, that's crazy that you knew exactly what I was going to say, Nora. Why is that? Because we all read the same thing. We all know the same thing. So yeah. anybody feigning ignorance, which yeah. is what I did, which is what Mike did, which is what you did, Nora, which yeah. is what any public Scientologist did, because our thoughts were at the time that w what we were all taught, which was we are old souls of little bodies. And so we weren't, exactly. we were not taught things about child molestation, pedophiles, none of that. And if we were molested as a child, we were taught that it was our fault. We did something in another life. We were child molesters in another life, or we mm -hmm. did something this lifetime to pull something like that in. And we're all just beings and our bodies don't matter. Right. And that's where the that's where the gay thing gets confusing in Scientology, right? Because in the Freedom Congress, he talks about, well, like, that's where he gets weird. Where, no, where no, no, no. He doesn't conflicted. get weird. No, no, no. Listen, well, Nora, Nora, conflicted. Nora. That's Nora. what I'm saying. He gets no, 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 no. In science or survival, if you, I'm not going to say there's things later that are more obscure, maybe not required reading. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's not required reading. I'm just saying he constantly conflicts What I'm saying is, he, no, he doesn't ever conflict him. No, he doesn't ever conflict himself. He is always, always maintained that homosexuality falls in the worst ban oh, yeah. of 1.1. It's, human beings yeah. that they should be taken off the face of the earth and that people in this band and he specifies that homosexuality is one of the most perverse activities mm -hmm. on the planet that they should be taken to an island and the world would be a better place without this band of people there yeah, is no other way we don't need yeah. to continue to argue or to oh, go no, no, back I'm and forth. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I not to, that's the wrong word. We don't need yeah. to we don't need to um discuss that he contra he does never contradicts himself. He maintains no, that never. that is a fact in Scientology. And kids growing up in Scientology, although they don't it's like they didn't have it bad enough where they were oh, molested yeah. or raped or told anything that bad that happened to them, where they don't have their parents, where they're in the Sea Org and as parishioners. Then on top of that, they have to hide the fact that they're depressed because depression is not a word yeah. looked upon kindly in Scientology. Sadness isn't even a word. Being sad isn't even okay. Having empathy, having compassion right. for, for, for mankind other than for Scientologists. Even Scientologists, they die. They're like, yeah, they'll just pick up another body. They don't give a shit if it's oh, your no, own no, no. mother. No. Your own child. There used to be judges that actually had a fucking brain in their head when it came to Scientology. And Mike, I would love for you to put those things up too. And what the FBI 
uh, I think we put this up before, but it yep. was the, uh, was it the FBI or the Department of Justice? No, Who it was made- the DOJ sentencing memorandum. Uh-huh. Uh, what the DOJ had to say and judges had to say about fair game, the Guardian's office, as well subsequent, uh, the Office of Special Affairs, Dirty Tricks. Um, and I don't, I don't know where those judges have gone. Um, uh, they're ordering people to uh, fucking arbitrations that don't <laughs> exist in Scientology. And I don't know, Mike, if yeah, we need no, to do a whole... Bullshit. Mike, I don't know if we need to do a whole episode of an arbitration. What is not... Yes. In, there is no such thing. And I don't know if we need to do a special podcast just discussing there is no such thing as arbitration in Scientology. But that's yes. for another day. Okay. We absolutely yeah. need to. And I know yeah. the exact right person to talk to about all this. Yeah. We will line that up. We should email those. I don't know if judges receive emails these days. I don't know if they read any fucking thing or they do any fucking research. Or they have one person that works for them that could do the fucking research? That's not fucking 92? (laughs) And white white privileged fucking 92-year-old judge? (laughs) Please impress upon your children at home. Please impress upon your children. Become judges. Become senators. Congresswomen. We need better people. Yes, we do. The children are yes. future, Leah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you too, Leah. I'm with you too. More women. More women in elected positions. That's one thing. You know what? That's what my husband he said. My husband says, he says to me every day, honey, you're getting a degree. Uh, you're going to NYU. You're going back to school. He's like, you know what it is? We need women. Like, we have fucked up the country enough. <laughs> like, okay, men have fucked it up enough. Like, it's time for the women to yeah. get a, to get a try at See, that's up, why yeah. Angelo and I would sit for hours on end yakking mm-hmm. to one another because we have such similar views about things. That's very interesting. He's just scared of what I would do to him on my period. He's just scared <laughs> that I would have him arrested. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, uh, Okay, you're, back, you're to, back, back to Nora's story. <laughs> Everything in the intro, let's just circle back to that. So, yes, all yes to all of that. Uh, Okay. So, essentially, I saved my mom twice. So, she she was in B1 and I was a a wee bibbit. She was in 1976. The intelligence bureau, B1. Yes, that was that was the internal, the internal bureau of intelligence bureau of the guardian's office, the dirty tricks department. Oh, got you. Okay. And so, when I was born, she was actually working in what is now the celebrity center building. Um, they had just purchased at the time. And as my mom said, it was a white elephant. It was terrible. It was not what you see now. Uh, it was run down. It was gross. Are you implying that 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 celebrity center or AOLA? It was swampy. Is... It was not gorgeous as it is now. It was, it was run down. It was not. I have a different view, nice. but okay, go ahead. Uh-huh. But, you know, it wasn't as posh as it appears now. Um, it was also the 70s. So, yeah. Um, and everybody was smoking on every oh, floor. Oh, it was a shithole. Yeah, thank you. It was a shithole. And so my mom had to bring me to work because um, it was the 70s. And people were so paranoid, okay? Because when you are a born-in, as Mike knows, because he's also a born-in, when you're born-in, they believe that you are a recombacker from the very beginning, even in the Guardian's office. And so um, Henning Helt, 
who was uh, roaming around in the guardian's office at the time, was convinced that as a weeks old baby, I was aware of all of the operations that were occurring and wanted to bond me because I was going to be able to recall all of these things that I was now privileged to in the crib that I was sitting in and was attempting to put my feet in like ink to bond me as a weeks old baby uh, to make sure that I would never reveal in auditing later all of the things that I was hearing uh, because I was going to tell all the secrets of the guardian's office later in uh, security check sessions. Uh, that is how insane. So they literally thought that you heard in your, I just want to be clear, you heard in your mother's womb. No, no, no. Well, after I was born. Okay. I was there in the office as a week's old baby. Okay. That you heard the secrets as and the an going on. Yes. That I would then later reveal all those things of the internal operations. And your footprints or uh-huh. your, was, your was your signature? Was your signature? That was my signature. Oh, they wanted to do that. My mom refused to do that. And then a few months later, she was like, I'm a mom now. My contract's up. I'm not going to renew my contract. And so they decided, okay, this is bad news bears. Nora's obviously an SP. We're going to try and declare this baby. They were going to declare you a suppressive person because your mother wanted to leave? Person as an infant. I can't. That was the first time I almost got declared a suppressive person as an infant. <laughs> I can't. I can't even fucking wrap my. Uh, go ahead. Yes, that's it. So that was stage one uh, in my Scientology career. What's so funny, Nora, is I, I'm laughing and acting outraged, and yet in present time, Aaron Smith Levin's dog. Like you'd think that was then they were getting effects of the pot and the mushrooms that they were right? taking before Scientology. No. They are still declaring babies and fucking pets in Scientology, SPs, right. enemies. Yeah. yeah. Mike. This is Mike. 1976. Mike. I almost got declared an SP. I almost got declared suppressive. And so then my mom left the Guardian's office. Um, we moved to Podunksville, California, where my dad grew up in Lodi. And then my mom and my sister. And we were like out of Scientology. For, so I, I actually got my mom out of Scientology as an infant because I was just born. And we were, you know, like roaming around doing things. My dad um, just was real bad at holding jobs because, you know, he liked to hide in bathrooms and steal stuff apparently. But, you know, that's a whole other thing. And he had his own thing. He was a Vietnam vet. He also had his own traumas and stuff that I can look back on now, like through the lens of like therapy that I'm going through and stuff. But Scientology did a number on him. I mean, he got declared a lot of stuff that we'd have to do a lot of explanations of. But he had his own internalized homophobia because of growing up in a really hick town, um, which then got passed on to me through also the laser-focused lens of Scientology. So growing up in that environment, it was very hard because my mom grew up in San Francisco. So she was very much like, yay, gay people. Like, and so it was a, it was a dichotomy growing up for me and like I was very much you know typical American daddy's girl issues whatever divorced family kind of weird stuff and then my mom had a big emphasis on education so we went to public school I did a little bit of Scientology school growing up and most of we didn't do that because we were poor so I couldn't afford it um that's that's the real deal because Scientology schools are expensive there's no education in them but they are very expensive um, so I went to public school. Right. But then when you were 13, you and your sister 
uh, Sarah, you were just told randomly one day that you would be going to a Scientology school, right? Well, no, we went to what happened when I was 13 is my, we, we always went to visit my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually like once a year, we we end up visiting my dad. And so every time I visit my dad, he moved to LA because he got together with my stepmom and she had a bunch of money and he used that to like dive back into Scientology. And so, uh, because he was in LA and that's where like a big hub of Scientology is. Every time I came to Los Angeles to visit him, he would pimp me out to the recruiters. He would literally just take me to every recruiter and be like, this is my daughter, Nora. What do you have to offer her? He wanted you to join the C organization, which you, which you eventually did at 18, right? Uh, I did. Yes. Okay. I jumped into the C org at 19, uh-huh. at 18, just before I turned 19. Um, when my mom finally couldn't say no anymore, because my mom would always say no. That's what happened. Even though she was a Scientologist. I, my dad would say yes, and my mom would say no. That's why I never ended up in the Sea Org as a minor, because my right. mom would come down. Like, the recruiters were terrified of my mom. So your dad is wanting you to join the Sea Org. Your mother is not, even though she's a Scientologist. Yeah. But at 19, you somehow ended up in the Sea Org. And because your father was pushing you into the Sea Org. Well, at 19, a whole bunch of things happened. I ended up moving to L.A. because I got recruited to work at the Scientology school where my stepmother worked. And this is where the gay journey like began, because I just graduated high school and they were like, great, you can teach P.E. at a Scientology school because you've graduated high school. And I was like, I don't understand. I don't have a teach degree. I am just 18. And they're like, and that doesn't matter. You are adult now. And I was like, okay, fine. And so in my mind, I was like, well, what does a PE teacher look like? And so I had to think about my PE teachers who at the time, because I was such a closeted gay person, I didn't realize that my two PE teachers who were friends, and I put that in air quotes, who lived together were two ladies who wore tracksuits. I didn't realize they were a gay couple. Um, I was like, I'm going to dress like them. So I look like Sue Sylvester. And I showed up at my dad's house looking like Sue Sylvester. And he freaked out and made me join the Affinity Connection, which was the Scientology match.com and try and like find me a husband right away because he looked at me and was like, oh my God, you're gay. Also, my first car tried to tell me I was gay. I bought a 1984 Datsun 210. I didn't even read the license plate, which by the way, said 1DYK800. The license plate literally said, 1-800-DYKE. I didn't see it, <laughs> but I bought the car anyway. My car was trying to tell me I was gay. Everything in the world was trying to tell me I was gay. Um, I walked around in a tracksuit with a whistle, you know, yelling at children like a complete, uh, you know, lesbian PE teacher. I didn't realize it. Well, no, you were, you were acting like a Scientologist. Well, no, and then I joined the Sea Org and uh, Rene Duzak, the chief officer, immediately said to me, hmm, uh, why do you dress like a man? That was like her first comment to me. Right. Why don't you dress more like a lady? Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a question. Was this dealt with in Scientology at all? Were you aware of the fact that this was not okay in, in the religion that you were being, well, the cults that you were part of? I mean, it must have been terribly, terribly hard for you to read the things that you were forced to read, to hear the things that you were hearing from your Scientology parents growing up. I mean, that must have been extremely difficult for you because you had no one to talk to about who you really are. It was incredibly hard. I think it just, 
I think it just was hard in general in the 90s growing up being closeted because it was the 90s in general. Uh-huh. Scientology made it worse because you have the unbelievable pressure of also trying to save the universe on top of that mm-hmm. uh, and trying to be the most ethical person on the planet. And that whole persona of like, um, I remember trying to explain to my friends in high school, like public high school, trying to explain to them that I was joining the Sea Org and that I was like going to save them and the entire universe. And they were like going to college. And trying to explain to them why what I was doing was logical. Yeah, and more, and more <laughs> like, important. And why it was yeah. super important, you yeah. know. And they were just looking at me like I was like a complete, you know, crazy person. Which I was at the time, you know. I mean, I was a 17-year-old, you know. At that time, I was I had decided I was going to go to the ship. And I had been recruited to go to the ship at the time, but I didn't end up going before the end of high school. Right. But you, my question is, you know, from what you were reading and from what the messages you were being sent, it would never give you cause to come out and say, I have to say this. You never said this to anyone in Scientology, No, I, I right? would never say out loud that I wanted to be with women because it would destroy everything that would be good about me because it would mean that I was actually an evil person. Right. And that was a message you were sent from all the teachings of Scientology. Yeah. yeah. It would mean that I was actually evil. And so you have to look at it from that viewpoint is that you're constantly convincing yourself that you are not evil right? and that you're not a bad person. And so you have to like every day kind of like do this internal mind fuck of like, if I just read think what I want and rewire everything about me, then it'll be okay. You know, if I just think hard enough, it'll be okay. Right. You know, and you'll somehow make it through. If I just, you know, postulate hard enough or then it'll be all right. Right. But of course you're not qualified to be in the Sea Org. If you're gay. No, and that, and that was the first, I, you know, I, and I hate to use the Scientology term, but that was the first withhold that was myth because when you, when you're signing the waivers at Celebrity Center specifically, which is where I did end up joining this year, one of the things you sign is like, you have to say, I'm not here to become famous or meet celebrities. And one of the other things you sign very specifically at Celebrity Center is that you are not gay. There is a waiver on the checklist is that you are not homosexual. Um, and that was the first time that I was like, uh oh, like in my mind, like they know mm-hmm. somebody is like, I felt like that was a question specifically for me. Mm-hmm. Like, does it, right. and I think I even asked at the time, does everyone sign this is for everyone? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's standard, everyone signs it. And I was like, oh, fuck, like shit, this is maybe I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, you know, as we were, we were talking earlier, the references that we were talking about, there's the modern science of mental health. These are the messages that are yeah. being sent to all Scientologists. All Scientologists are required to read, not not only just read the book, but clear every word in the book that they've read and be checked out on the books that we've read. So it's not just like, oh, that person might have missed that day. Like Laura Prepon did not miss this day. Oh, no, class. no. She definitely didn't miss that day. I mean, all, all of the celebrities, not one celebrity. Catherine Bell, yes. Laura Pinkon, oh, yeah. you, 
nobody has missed the day. I have personally done one-on-one work through Dianetics with many celebrities all the way through the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know they haven't missed that. Yeah, let's just go, let's just read, read that. This, this is from Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health. This is L. Ron Hubbard's words. The sexual pervert, to be brief, includes any and all forms of deviation in uh, how L. Ron Hubbard defines a section of life. It's broken down into eight sections of life called the dynamics. And like the first one is your body. The second one is your sex life, your husband, your wife, okay, children. So he says in this dynamic two, this is the part about sex and family and all that, such as homosexuality, lesbianism, sexual sadism, et cetera, and all down the catalog of Ellison Craft Ebbing is actually quite ill physically. Perversion as an illness has so many manifestations that it must be spread through the entire gamut of classes from one to five above. In Science or Survival, the second book. Is that the second book, Mike? In order? Yeah. Yep. 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 yeah. Again, mandatory reading. Homosexuality, sexual perversion and deviation, in parentheses, was placed on the scale of 1-1, covert hostility. So in this book, Science or Survival, you could chart out people in your life, supposedly, who are horrible. And he says, so this it's like randomly numbered, but it goes from, what, 4.0, Mike, to 0.0, right? From from the top to the bottom. In the handbook for preclairs, yeah, the very original scale. Is the okay. Right. To the yes, that's correct. It got expanded from yes. minus yeah. 40 to plus blah, blah, but the basic scale is zero to four. Yes. Yeah. And so- and in Scientology, by the way, there's such a thing as uh, worse than body death. Worse than body <laughs> death. Yeah. So you could be a person who's 1-1, they would consider you, we would rather have you dead than 1-1. Basically. So he places homosexuality at one of the worst bands on the scale. One of the worst. 1-1 people are the scourge of society, according to Science of Survival. Here's an infamous passage, Mike. Go ahead. The sudden and abrupt deletion of all individuals occupying the lower bands of the tone scale, including 1.1, obviously, from the social order would result in an almost instant rise in the cultural tone and would interrupt the dwindling spiral into which any society may have entered. And then he goes on and he says, gives a great example. A Venezuelan dictator once decided to stop leprosy. He saw that most lepers in his country were also beggars. By the simple expedient of collecting and destroying all the beggars in Venezuela, an end was put to leprosy in that country. Yep. And that is how he he describes what should be done with people who are at 1.1 on the tone scale and that at 1.1 is specifically noted homosexuality, sexual perversion, and he defines sexual perversion as homosexuality or lesbianism or any other sexual deviation. Right. And I love how he just comes up with that random factoid about Venezuela from like his asshole that yeah. is from nowhere. Yeah, it's it's like the one that he came up with on on vaccinations that was another one. Anyway. Right. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something that we talked about, uh, Scientology trying to weasel around the fundamental facts of what they believe, 
which is what happens. And we saw this all played out in the episode with, that we did of the aftermath with Paul Haggis. Right. And the fact that Scientology had supported this Proposition 8 in California, oh, which yeah. was a, a real anti-gay measure. And Paul Haggis had stepped forth and said, wait a minute. I thought you said we're not we're not anti-gay. What are you doing? Right. Why is Scientology supporting this? And he got the mealy mouth Tommy Davis response and run around the bushes. And eventually he decided he'd had enough. And that incident actually led to then the article in the New Yorker, which led to right. the Going Clear book, which led to the Going Clear HBO documentary, which started an avalanche of shit for Scientology. Right. And that's because Paul loves his kid. Yes, of course. I mean, you know what I mean? Because Paul was like, hey, hang on a second. I'm not for anything that's anti my kid. Like, fuck that. Right. Right. But I think the point that you're you're making, Mike, and I hope, well, I, I don't want to speak for you. Did you finish what you were saying, baby? Well, I wanted to say that Scientology will publicly, and I will find it because I'm sure it's on their website now, that they are pro-gay mm-hmm. rights, they're pro-this, oh, yeah. they're pro-that. But when push comes to shove and you actually get into Scientology, it's like Scientology mm-hmm. says you can be a Scientologist and a Christian too mm-hmm. until you actually get in. Mm-hmm. And then you find out if you want to try and practice Christianity as a Scientologist, you're shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. And when you get into Scientology and they've given the pitch about how gay friendly we are and you get in there and you start talking about the fact that you are gay, that you're shit out of luck about too. Because then they will start trying to handle you and audit you, audit your gayness away. Yeah, right. They will literally develop an auditing program, a Scientology counseling program designed to deal with your deviation and your the problems that have been generated through your reactive mind that are causing you to be gay. I mean, I can say 100% yes to that. And the twistedness of that is like for me personally, like my gayness only manifested itself honestly because I was so scared in the CR with literally a kiss. It wasn't even a French kiss, okay, for the listeners out there, um, with a fellow CR member. And I was sent to the RPF, mm-hmm. which is uh, what? Which is the Rehabilitation Project Force. Huh. It is a prison camp where you are held against your will and you are not allowed to leave. I was not allowed to leave uh, at all. <laughs> and what happened to you? A lot of bad things happened to people on that A lot of really bad things RPM. happened to yeah. me there for the almost three years that I was there for kissing another girl. Um, it was not a French kiss or anything like that, anything torrid. Uh, we did not have <laughs> sex in any way, shape, or form. There was no touching. Uh, no heavy petting. No. What happened uh, there? The, what What happened there on the RPF for uh, three RPF? years? Yeah. So you do heavy labor. We run everywhere. You have to wear construction boots. You do a lot of manual labor. Uh, you are working ten to sometimes fifteen hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on what your job is uh, during that time. Uh, we did a lot of construction around the the base there mm-hmm. at the Hollywood base there. Uh, we also did construction for the Celebrity Center. We did 
renovations for the building. Did you have a license to be doing construction? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I got electrocuted. That was fun. Almost died there. No hospital trip for that. Three broken ribs. No hospital wow. trip for that. Herniated disc. No hospital trip for that. What else? Oh, I almost bled to death. That was great. They sent me to the emergency room. Of course, you don't have any hospital care at all or any sort of medical thing. So they just send you to the USC. Uh, you know, they send you on the bus. And they tell you what to say. They drive right? you. Yeah, they tell you what to say. You have to fill out the poor people form because you're poor because you only make $12.35 a week because you're getting quarter pay, uh-huh. um, which they take taxes out of. They tape the they tape <laughs> the pennies to the back of your pay stub because they pay you in cash. Uh-huh. And um, you have to fill out this form that's very embarrassing that says that you're super poor and so please treat me because I'm a poor person, even though you're fully employed full time. And you have to like explain to them that you work uh, like 80 hours a week, but you don't have any money. Yeah. So I had many, many health problems. But you had to lie about how you got injured. You didn't say, oh, I got this was on the job. Oh, yeah. Because when I, I, uh-huh. Yeah. When I was bleeding to death, ironically, they sent me to Planned Parenthood to get pills because my periods were bad, uh-huh. which is also the same place. You know, they send people for other stuff. So, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole thing. That's where you get your feminine care is the Planned Parenthood down the street and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's just a whole it's a whole debacle. It's a whole mess. How did you get off the RPF? So finally, I ran away several times um, because they wouldn't let me leave. One time I did the legal route. I went through hours and hours of security checking and begging. I went before a committee of my peers. and I told them I cannot make someone better. I'm a terrible human being. Please let me leave. And I begged this committee to let me leave. The RPF in charge held on to my fitness board, which was the packet of paper that said, you may leave for three months uh-huh. while people tried to convince me to stay. Uh-huh. And then after three months, and I was like, fine, I guess I'll stay. He pulled out the approved fitness board and said, see, I knew you'd change your mind and made me stay. Uh-huh. And then after that gaslighting, one day, because every time I would show affection in a normal human way towards another female, I would get a report written on me. Like, you know, like how I just greeted you today and I said, hey, how's it going, Leah? Oh, love you, miss you, blah, blah. Report. Nora's flirting with Leah. Or like, it just, I couldn't be a normal human because when I first got on the RPF, I told him straight out, like, I'm not going to just be like the lesbian. Like right. either I'm going to come here and do this program and I'm going to turn my life around and everything's going to be fine and nobody knows why I'm here or I'm not doing it. Right. He was like, nobody knows why you're here. That's uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So, of course, as we you and I both know, that's a big fucking lie because nothing's confidential in Scientology. Everybody knows. Yeah, everything. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I just got reports written on me constantly. So one night um, I was tossing bags of laundry down a stairwell and I was doing the only form of entertainment that we have on RPF, which is reenacting scenes from movies and stuff mm-hmm. to another RPFer. And I made her laugh. And the RPFIC observed this interaction and decided that I had been furiously making love to this girl somewhere around the base secretly uh-huh. and wanted me to receive a very intensive step check about it. Uh-huh. Interrogation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I was put on to, you know, into this interrogation by this uh, woman who I hated 
who uh, proceeded to start asking me very disgusting questions. And I said, this is, this is ridiculous. And this was in your interrogation, these questions? Yeah. Like basically asking me sex questions about things that honestly I'd never done uh, in my life. And I was like, this is not Scientology. Explicit questions. Yeah. Very explicit questions. Oh, it is Scientology, my friend. Did you yeah, not know no, that? No, no, I know. And so okay. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. And I put the can, I, you know, I, you have to hold those cans. I put them down. And just so everybody knows what, when we're talking about interrogation, we're talking about in a locked room uh, with the person on the other side of the room. This mm -hmm. is also done with children of Scientology and in the sewer on this lie detector meter that they call an e-meter. And these are right. some of the questions that children and adults are asked alike. Uh, Mike, you'll put this up on your website, but these are called quote unquote confessionals that everybody has to do in Scientology. Mm -hmm. Have you ever practiced homosexuality? Have you ever had intercourse with a member of your family? Have you ever been sexually unfaithful? Have you practiced sodomy? Have you ever consistently made practice of sexual perversion? Have you ever slept with a member of a race of another color? It, let's say let's say one of these questions ticks on the meter, and uh, these are highly trained professionals, by the way, Scientologists <laughs> who know how to what each needle manifestation means on the dial of uh, a meter of Scientology. Uh, I think the three of us are trained as well. Mike, are you trained? Yes. To to read an e meter and the twenty seven yeah. uh, needle phenomena. Okay. Uh, we know those verbatim, by the way, and yep. we know them looking away. We are trained to know when the needle moves on the meter, even when we look away. Yes. We know what it means when you press your hands on the cans too tight or loosen them up. Okay, so let's take an example like this. Have you ever practiced homosexuality? Like I said, a child or grown-up will be asked these questions and if the needle moves and the person says, let's say a child who is too young to have any sexual experiences. It doesn't even know what that word means. Doesn't know what the word means. They will, the auditor, the Scientology untrained person across from them uh, who has no business counseling any human being on the planet will look at the child and say, do you understand what homosexuality is? The person, kid will say, no, they will tell them what it means. They will clear the word in a definite dictionary. They will make them use it in sentences. They will say, how can right. you practice homosexuality? Give me some examples. Explain it to me by using these paper clips and pens here. How? Uh, Show me know. an example. Yeah. Demonstrate it. Right. And then they would say, so we believe in last lifetime, like other lifetimes, right? To the child. Yes, we believe in other, you know, you're a spiritual being, right? So that means that you were a man, a grown woman, another life. So maybe the meter is reading on that. So what pictures come to mind when I ask you this question? And the child then has to just answer whatever comes to their mind that has been given to them, suggestion, and they say these wild things that is written down and recorded in this right. kid's file for the rest of their life. And this is what Scientology releases as evidence when you leave and speak out. Yeah. And that's worth anything, right, Mike? Like it could be, have you ever yeah. uh, murdered somebody, ever killed somebody? Right. Well, of course not. Oh, yeah. I've never. Robbed a bank or right, robbed right, a right. bank or, or right. you know, whatever. Hurt a child or whatever it is, right? So you're saying things like, yeah, in uh, 100 BC. I, I, I mean, you say some crazy shit, man. You blew up a planet. Yeah, whatever. whatever. So, so my point is that when that question comes up and reads, like let's say in Nora's case, in my case, in Mike's case, it'll be when was it? Who who saw it? Who do you think saw it? 
who and what did it, you do exactly? Every detail of that one thing, it's it's horrible, and they do that over and over and over again until the needle is supposedly quote unquote clean. Right. right, and they also do something else, which is what Nora was alluding to, which in Scientology is called the murder routine. Oh, yes, yes. which is to yes. ask a question: Have you ever, you know, had a homosexual relationship? And there is some read, and the person says, "Nope, nope, nope, nope," and continues to come up with no answer. Then it becomes: Have you ever had sex with a donkey? Have you ever? And the idea is. You ask questions that are so far outside the realm of reality that you go, well, okay, I'll, uh, I'm not going to say I had sex with a donkey, but okay, I'll, I'll come up with something to stop this insanity. Yeah. And that is what happens. You stop the insanity by coming up with something that now seems relatively reasonable Mm -hmm. compared to what you've just been being asked about. At this point in my RPF journey, I was so fucking over it. I literally told them no. Yeah. And I attempted to leave and I got put back in my chair and I said, I don't want you to touch me again. And I tried to put on my shoes and they took my shoes. And then I was like, you need to give me my fucking shoes back. And then now I have like two people coming over. And, and you have to realize at this point, we are in the basement of the big blue building. In Los Angeles. In, yeah. In, yeah. In Los Angeles. That's right. That's on L. Ron Hubbard Way. Mm-hmm. And so now I have two people and they're like both trying to put me back in this chair in the corner of this basement. And I'm, I'm warning these people. I said, listen, I'm just going to say this one more time. I need you not to put your hands on me. I'm leaving this room. And so I try to get up again and get my shoes. Now there's three people. I'm pushing past three people. And at some point, there's a point in this where like adrenaline is taking over for me, where you're just like trying to get out of a space. Yeah. At this point, there's literally, I got tackled to the floor at one point. I don't have shoes and socks on because you take your shoes and socks on when you're, you know, you have to take your shoes and socks off for like the auditing purposes to be totally comfortable. I'm army crawling to this door that has been locked. And I'm pounding on the door. I have like people holding my legs and my waist down. And somebody on the other side of the door is like unlocking it because I'm pounding on it and I'm screaming. And they're screaming, don't open it, don't open it. And I get my hands around the um, the jam of the door and I start like ripping it open. Yeah. And they're pulling and everyone's pulling. And somehow, because, you know, just like Hulk moment, I managed to like elbow my way out of there. Uh, my face is bloodied. Like there's wow. blood streaming down my face and my feet are bloody. And because like you're been in PTSD and you're like panic, I could have bolted down towards the fire station, which would have been safe. I could have done that, but I was so panicked and so crazed and hysterical. I ran to security and I picked up the phone and I'm bloody and I'm like freaking out and I'm hysterical. And the first thing that the security chief, Alex, says to me is, you're getting blood all over my phone. That's, that's the first words out of his mouth. And I said, yeah. He's like, stop bleeding on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to tell him what's happening. 
and they're following me and I'm like flailing my arms about screaming. And finally, you know, the RPF, I see Alex comes down, both of them are named Alex, both Alex's come down and they, you know, he comes and gets me. So I'm in the RPFIC's office with just blood and things. And so he takes me in his office and he's like, what is your problem? I'm like, and I, so I started screaming at him. And so then five, you know, RPFers rush in because I'm screaming at the RPFIC, you know, like shit's going to go down. And, and he's like, get out. Don't worry about it. Cause we've known Alex and I knew each other since we were like 10. And I said, you know what? Fuck you. You told me that when I came here, nobody was going to know why I was here. Everybody knows. And now I'm getting this stupid fucking interview. And he's like, I ordered the interview. Basically, he's like, I ordered the code red, you know. And I was like, well, fuck you. Why would you do that? So then we had a whole conversation about it. Then he proceeded to tell me that, you know, anyway, he got me in for another interview to clean it up, to clean up the mess. The next day, the person who was in charge of my unit took it upon herself to spend 45 minutes in my face telling me that essentially the world would be better off without me and that I was a complete waste of human space and a piece of shit and that I had just basically ruined everything. I was under 24-hour watch at that point, you know, because I had fucked shit up. I wandered off from my unit because, <laughs> you know, they're real good at watching you. And I wandered back upstairs to the supply closet and I just sort of started like scrubbing walls, like hysterically. I was just like in a daze, just scrubbing and people were like coming up and yelling at me. And I just remember just scrubbing and being hysterical and then thinking like, I'm never leaving. Like no one is ever letting me leave here. Like I just, there's no escape. Like I've tried everything. Like I've run away. I've tried leaving, you know, the right way. And she's right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a useless piece of shit. Wow. So I thought I, I just, that's it. I need to die. And so I looked around this little tiny supply closet. Like, how can I, how can I kill myself in this place? And so there was like some scissors and I like, honestly tried to cut my wrist with these scissors and they were so dull. I was like, this is the perfect metaphor for this situation. Like, I can't even kill myself. Like, this is how dumb it is. The only other thing in there that I thought I could hurt myself with was bleach. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to do it. And I took some of the bleach. And I just remember thinking, like, before I drank it, I was like, my last thought in my mind was like, I'm so sorry, mom. Wow. And I drank some bleach and I fell out of the closet, like, choking just like don't ever do that i couldn't breathe i was like choking i fall the thing the guy who's down the hall who's supposed to be watching the hallway is like what you know they brought me some milk they were just like why did you do that <laughs> I'm like um because i want to die because i'm a piece of shit you know and so then they're like you know they isolate me and like you know away from everyone but didn't take you to a hospital. They did not take me to the hospital. They did not call 911. Mm -hmm. um, they just put me in the course room away from everyone. They wouldn't let anyone talk to me. And then while we were driving to Olive Medical Center, we had to rehearse a story where I was going to come up with a reason why I accidentally drank bleach. And I was like in my RPF 
gray t-shirt and black jeans. Okay, right. so we're showing up looking totally conspicuous yeah. to the emergency room at all of you medical center. And why there? Was there a specific reason, Mike, why there? It was you either go there or you go to USC. Um, I think they prefer the all of you medical center because it's like further away. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's way out in the middle of nowhere. So we drive all the way out there. And the story that I had to rehearse and tell was basically that I had been cleaning and that I had been using um, a diluted bleach solution in a water bottle, but I also had a bottle of water and that I had confused the two. So sorry. And, you know, whoops. And could you please, you know, examine me? And the doctor examining me was like, are you sure that's what happened? Like three times. In front of the handler. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, and who's this? And I was like, oh, this is my cousin. And in the moment I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be like, yeah, I tried to kill myself. Please help me. But you can't say that. Did the doctor say, are you just back from a, from the Navy, sir? Or there, was there any questioning? Of he, just, like- he looked at him really strangely. I mean, it was yeah. very weird. You know, I mean, they examined me and thank God there wasn't any like permanent damage or anything like that, you know? Yeah. And they let me go. Um, they did ask if I wanted to call anyone and, oh, no, no, we're going to take her to her, you know, to her mom, blah, blah, blah. Everything's fine, you know. And then they drove me around for a while. They didn't have anywhere to take me. We went to In-N-Out, which was fun. Uh, and then to Krispy Kreme. Uh-huh. Um, and then we went to the Extended Stay America, where uh, two RPFers came to stay to watch me. Uh-huh. Because now I was definitely under 24-hour watch. Sure. And um, that was very interesting because I wasn't allowed to do anything by myself. So at that point, I just started like taking the piss out of it a little bit because like I wasn't allowed to take a shower now. I had to take a bath. Right. And literally, Zarin Mueller, who I'm going to call out, had to watch me bathe. And I'm like, I remember shaving my legs, bathing in front of this adult woman. And I just looked at her dead in the eyes and said, who's the lesbian now? (laughs) While I was shaving my legs. Like, who does that? Who stares at another grown woman bathing because now you have to watch them? And then they sent somebody to give me one final, you know, session there to audit out my evil purpose for trying to kill myself. And then Alex, the RPFIC, shows up in a patrol car that security has with the lights on, okay, Uh at the Extended Day America with the thing... and gets on the loudspeaker on the car. Nora Sova, come outside on the loudspeaker at a hotel. Why? And calls me outside like he's a cop. For what purpose? Because he's obnoxious and a crazy person. And so I come outside. Now, I'm literally one step from actually leaving. He calls me over to the car and he says, so you're going to knock all this bullshit off and like come back and get to work? (laughs) I was so fucking terrified at that moment. I was so, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? In my mind, I couldn't fucking believe it. I just was like, I just looked him dead in the eye. I said, no, no. And he's like, fine, fuck you. And then he drove off. But like, even after Of all course, of that, there's no compassion. There's no, there's still like, no. come back. So where, where did you end up? 
So then after that, they dropped me at my mom's house. They just put my shit in a box and took me to my mom's house. And now your mom, was she concerned that you attempted suicide, that you were pushed? She didn't know. I didn't tell her for like over a year. I couldn't tell her that. Right. And you just resumed normal, uh, quote unquote, normal life as a civilian Scientologist? I got two jobs. I tried to just be normal. I try, I didn't. I. It took me let's see, I left in 2002 and I didn't start therapy until 2014. So yeah, it took me 12 years to get into therapy. And by this time you're, you're married, right? Yeah. Everybody knew that I had gone in because I was gay. So when I left, my whole family was like, Hey, we know you got RPF because you were gay, whatever, be gay. We love you. Great. But I was like, fuck that. Like I'm going to prove to everybody I'm not gay. I'm going to have babies. I'm going to get married. And so like I was on a mission to find a, you know, a penis and get, you know, cause I was also a virgin. Yes. Listeners. And so I was like, maybe I just need to like have the sex and that'll handle it. That's why I'm, I'm gay. It's cause I just haven't had sex with a dude. Right. And so that was a lot harder to find than I thought, you know, I was cute. I was fit and you know, like, but whatever. So then I got married. Um, to the only man I was ever with mm-hmm. was my husband, Cameron, uh, my ex-husband. And we had two babies, my sons, who are uh, the youngest, just turned 13 last weekend. And the oldest is turning 16 next month. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and what was crazy about that is that having my oldest definitely saved my life a lot, changed a lot of things in my mind about myself and feeling a lot of self-worth. and then getting pregnant with my youngest turned my head around in terms of like making me realize that I was really fucking gay again, because as soon as I, there was a lot of things going on as married people know when marriage isn't great, uh, you know, especially when you're not straight, having another baby, isn't going to fix it. But also in general, if you're ever having marriage problems, having another baby doesn't fix anything. But when I got pregnant with my second son, that was when all of my gayness really started coming back in my mind. And for seven years, I sat on it, just thinking about it a lot and started talking to my husband about it, my ex-husband about it at the time and, you know, telling him little bits and pieces about my feelings about it and, you know, like things that were coming up and, you know, we started talking about our relationship and um, that's when I had started like speaking out Mm -hmm. um, about what had happened to me in the church. And as I started speaking up about what happened to me, more and more things started coming up for me because I was like really starting dealing with my shit. You're dealing with the trauma and dealing with the abuse and dealing with being told you're worth nothing your whole life, yeah. you know, directly and indirectly by your Scientology parents, by your Scientology handlers, yeah. by the piece of shit who told you that you were worth nothing in the Sea Org and yeah. all of those things. So ultimately, you were dealing with all of your drama for the first time in your life. And and yeah. listen, just to just to tell people, you know, you and your ex-husband Cameron, he he's from our conversations has been amazing friends and ally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I lucked out in that department. We ended our marriage 
amicably. Yes. And he's also with a tremendous woman who we all love. We have a very modern family. He's with a great lady who's amazing. And you're all a family and you all get along and it's a beautiful thing. You have two other children. You're married now to the love of your life. And this ultimately is uh, one of the best stories, you know, ultimately that, you know, it's amazing. (laughs) One of the worst of one of the best. Yes. Because Nora, (laughs) listen, you got your life that you've always wanted. You have the love that you've always wanted. You could give the love that you've always wanted to give in the way that you want to give it. And you have your mom, which is, again, another great ending to the story. And you continue to speak out, like Mike mentioned in the beginning. And you continue to champion for people and to tell the truth and to be a beacon of strength for people who maybe weren't in Scientology, but in something else or just not or, or afraid to come out. And I cannot thank you enough. And Mike can't thank you enough. We love you. And we're always here for you. If you ever need us, you ever want to come back on our podcast and talk about anything, we are here. And thank you for all that you do, all that you have done, and all that you will continue to do. And we love you. And um, that's it. Thank you all for listening. And we're going to put all of the, these resources on the uh, on Mike's website and on the Fair Game podcast website. Nora, do, are you doing a podcast or anything? Um, I'm trying to get mine started back up again. We haven't officially started it. So there's nothing to promote, right? No, I got I got nothing right now. No, no, you got a lot. You're a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I promote my children. Yeah, I, that's it. I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to go West Portland um, there sluggers. You go. There yeah. you go. That's our daughter's um, softball team. Yes, here. go West yes. Portland sluggers. Yes. Thank you. And thank yeah. you all for listening. Until next time. Bye, Mikey. Bye-bye. Bye, Nora. Bye, Nora. Thank you so much, baby.